Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace. Hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're getting ready for Star Trek Picard's upcoming premiere with an exploration of the character of Jean-Luc Picard. Yay! Uh, But first, between recording our last episode and this one, we... uh got news of the sad passings of DC Fontana and René Aubergenois and I just wanted to acknowledge that and also say that we will do deep dives into their work and they're fairly remarkable uh, contributions to Star Trek at a later date because I don't really want to half-ass it. Yeah Mm. but but we definitely will. I mean DC Fontana's fingerprints are all over Star Trek. Especially the bits that we particularly love. (laughs) Sarek. (laughs) <laughs> um, and Rene Aubergenois, it, I think that everyone would agree that his contributions to Star Trek and acting in general uh, will live long past him. Oh, and, absolutely. And are a true tribute to what an amazing talent he was. And I would just like to say that although I am very much on the record as being someone who is not a big fan of Odo as a character, that is in no way a criticism of his acting. And in fact, the, the, the aspects of Odo that I really enjoy uh, often, often turn out to be the things that he contributed. And I think that that's a testament to his talent and his insight. And by all accounts, he was a very nice person. Yes, he, he seems to have been an absolutely wonderful human being uh, who donated a lot of his proceeds to, uh, from conventions and stuff to charities and was always really wonderful and personable in person uh, to fans. And uh, also, I just I love all of his voice acting work. Oh, absolutely. That I, I grew up listening <laughs> to, to René Auvergnois. So... <laughs> That's how I, like, that was the first thing that I thought of um, before Odo yeah. was, was uh, The Little Mermaid and The Last Unicorn and all the rest. He has a small, a very small recurring role in uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, playing a, a brilliant engineer and inventor who has um, started creating weapons for the Fire Nation to prick protect his disabled son and his community from them and it's just a wonderfully uh nuanced performance from him it's absolutely brilliant so yeah i think it's really sad to think that he's gone and it's a shame that i will never get to hear dc fontana turn up on another podcast i have to admit because i was away from star trek for 10 years i assumed that she had passed away and i was really shocked to learn that she was still alive and even still working So it's a shame. She had a a long life and a very productive life, but it's a shame to lose her nonetheless. Yes. Rest in peace. Yes. But we are here to talk about Captain Picard. Admiral Picard. Mr. Picard. Sometimes Ambassador Picard, depending on the timeline. Little Jean. (laughs) Oh. I, 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 secretly, I have trouble believing that Picard was ever a child, even though there's that whole episode where he's turned into one. <laughs> he's not a very good child in that episode, though. He, he's, I mean, he is uh, trapped. 
He's a trapped adult, and I feel like that is true to history. Uh, I expect yeah, yeah. that when he was actually a young child, he was still a trapped adult. <laughs> yes. Uh, but so was his brother. So. <laughs> Some people just seem to spring out fully middle-aged. But then we look back at his youth, and in fact, Jean-Luc was this uh, hard-drinking, womanizing madman <laughs> who got his heart stabbed out. So let's, let's begin yeah. with his aristocratic roots. Yes. He's very European. <laughs> Landed gentry. <laughs> Which I find a little... I, I assume that there was an element of cliche at work here. And that, you know, they're like, what kind of background does a French person have? He's either a baguette cook, a baguette baker, or a, a, he makes wine. Or he owns a winery, yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious about the economics of the future as presented in Star Trek. There was a very interesting thread about that recently on Twitter, which I guess we can try and unearth for the show notes. Uh, it certainly had some assumptions that I didn't agree with, but the stuff about how do you own land in this society? Yeah. He has a sweeping vineyard. <laughs> which only looks a little bit like California. <laughs> But it's a, a big, beautiful hillside, and that house, and the little, like, cobblestone and stone, the path to, the long path <laughs> to the house that I feel like is a part of it. I feel like that is his estate. He has a Picard estate. It's a little bit ridiculous, and but... I, d <laughs> I, I mean, I can imagine that... It has been in the family for generations and generations. And so it just sort of, oh, we got rid of money, but the Picards get to keep this as long as there are Picards, I guess. I guess maybe families own property communally, perhaps? I don't know. I'm sure it would be very interesting to get like an estate lawyer or something to talk about it. And, and maybe it will turn out that enterprising individuals has already done so. So, I, I mean, I just think it's funny. But he, so he has real, I mean, aristocratic roots is, is the only way I can describe it. He's very... Patrician. Yes. And it's not in keeping with his personality necessarily no and i think one of the great insights i saw in your fashion project was articulating that for all that he is ostensibly mr poshy mcposh he has this fantasy of being a street hero and a rebel and a hard-boiled detective and yeah he wants to be indiana jones yes he is his imagination mm. the parts that he imagines himself into is definitely very uh gritty and and gets gets your hands dirty mm. and you know his ridiculous v-necks <laughs> <laughs> just loves to get his cleavage out yeah i mean he it's just it's it's so interesting to me because he's presented as very put together yes and i think i i've complained about this before on this podcast and elsewhere that uh people who either haven't watched next gen or haven't watched it recently 
tend to get this idea that Picard really is the stuffed shirt and the rule follower and the guy who hates to have his routine interrupted. And to some extent that's true, but he's also literally the guy who fakes his death to investigate archaeology fraud. He hooks up with sexy criminal archaeologists on shore leave and goes on on quests for honestly give the man a historical quest and he'll go on it (laughs) yes and and delights in that yes he loves going on his adventures he loves being dixon hill yes and he loves both the mechanics of it and the storyline of it like he's invested in everything about that fantasy yes and and to some extent you know the indiana jones thing comes from patrick stewart and his request to have more action but dixon hill was you know first right there in the first season and and right everything everything sort of builds on that and I, i just think it's so fun and interesting and picard is a much more nuanced character than he necessarily gets credit for yes I think that that is very true. He's portrayed as stayed mm. in relation to a Kirk or a Janeway. Yes. And that's fair. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that he is this buttoned up, repressed individual no. who only thinks with his head. And you sort of see it. My flatmate remarks that you really see how much he dislikes the, the whole st- duffiness of his rank when he's dealing with the admiralty and you see what he's like as a subordinate which is basically a nightmare from not following orders to just the lengths he'll go to to get out of the admiral's dinner <laughs> yes he doesn't he doesn't actually like protocol no no I think... at least he he doesn't like bending to other people's protocol he likes his he wants there to be control in his realms but he doesn't want there it to be stuck and stuffy and and required Mm. i think it's that but also he respects protocol if he understands the reason for it and so he Mm. has a lot of time for like the rituals of other cultures but when it's his own culture and he can sort of see through the facade he's like this is a waste of my time when i could be hanging out reading a book or playing the flute mm-hmm. yes and that's those are other things he's is that he has a lot of hobbies he's very yeah. well-rounded in them he can quote shakespeare at the drop of a hat yes which again is is because he's patrick stewart but you have to take that away and say these are all things that create the character of Picard and that's what makes him a character worthy of Patrick Stewart yes if that makes sense no it does and I think it's really cool to see a character who is an adult with so many hobbies like we're in this weird space in fandom where people are like oh what you're over 20 and you're still into fandom stuff you should be knitting your taxes and that's very gendered of course and men don't seem to get it as much as women but you know there's a stereotype of the the man child who still plays video games well here's captain picard playing on the holodeck you know i think that's right that's really cool and it shows him as a very well balanced person he, he has the most authority on the entire ship it's 
the flagship, so he has the most authority in the entire fleet mm. below the Admiralty. And he he not just plays in the hollow deck, he loves it. He gets super excited about it. And, and he in, he invites people to join him. It's not something he finds embarrassing. Right. He's 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 thrilled. He unbend, and then he also paints and he also rides horseback and he also fences. Yeah. Yeah. He is I mean, he is the stereotypical Renaissance man. He pursues sport, he pursues art, he pursues knowledge for its own sake. He is in many respects a scientist. And, you know, you can do these things when you have full luxury automated gay communism. <laughs> exactly. This is the future we want. Yeah. Yeah. I also like that he doesn't have to be the best at it. No. Like, he, he, he's, he just enjoys it. Yeah. He is canonically a terrible artist, but he keeps going. He is a competent musician, but he's playing the penny whistle. Right, and, and he, he wants to honor it mm. because it's important to him, but that doesn't mean being the best, and it doesn't even mean showing off no. to someone. You no. know, it's like he invites people to join him in his various hobbies because of camaraderie mm. and and to share it because it's a it's even more fun with other people yes but not because he's trying to prove something and often he is pursuing these things for himself he is recording himself playing a mozart concerto on his penny whistle and no one else is going to hear that that is purely for his own enjoyment and i think that's in an age where if you do have hobbies you're expected to monetize them i think it's really cool yes exactly oh my goodness again this is the future we want <laughs> i just want to do the thing mm. Mm. and having done it i mean i say that even about my education yes i got my master's and everyone was like well what are you gonna do now and it's like have my master's <laughs> i mean look i would love to have a career that used it yes but the things that i study and the things that i am interested in and the things that i actually think i would contribute to the world mm. don't pay well <laughs> would love i mean i would i am i, I finished my master's mm. but i can still take classes at the university and so I am seriously considering just taking more classes <laughs> because I like them. <laughs> I like going to school. I like learning new things. I like being in a classroom setting where everyone is talking about yeah. whatever the subject is and sharing that and doing the research and then discussing that. And it's, I mean, I just really enjoy at academic stimulation yeah and i think that's one Sounds of the ridiculous but it's just true and i i feel like that is the level of of intellectual that uh picard also is that he just likes doing the thing to do it he is the enthusiastic amateur he could have been a great archaeologist but he chose to concentrate on other things so he's an amateur 
and and as much and as that's okay yeah and i think that still. in the real world there are a lot of um ethical issues around around the idea of amateur archaeology but this is star trek and we can pretend and as as much as we sort of joke about the idea that a party on the enterprise d is a bunch it is a string quartet you know it's <laughs> cool that every this is a space where everyone can go hey I, i've done a thing do you want to join me in doing a thing and we can share our experience and skills with the rest of our people i think that's nice like beverly's theater troupe yes they're not good <laughs> That's not the point. I try. <laughs> they enjoy putting on shows. And that's, I was, <laughs> in high school, I had my own theater group mm. of other high schoolers and middle schoolers and like my brothers <laughs> and other, anyone I could rope into being in my theater troupe. And we practiced in basements and sometimes in the parking lot and we put on a show that was earnest (laughs) (laughs) but we were all very proud of ourselves and i am still now whatever 20 something years later very proud of that theater troupe yeah because you know you did something it's silly and nerdy, but it's an achievement. Right. So, go Beverly. Yeah. And Barkley. Do we have to say go Barkley? I mean... Well, he was in the theatre troupe. I know. But he... Anyway, Picard, that's the subject of, of Right, this. sorry. We're off. But I, I'm just saying, I think that Picard is as you said a renaissance man and he also encourages it in other people yeah which is all those things happen on the enterprise because picard is in charge of the enterprise right yes i assume that there are other starships out there where look i'm sure that there is a beer pong tournament on the enterprise d it's just that none of the senior officers are involved (laughs) i know i'm not like i feel like Riker might be involved (laughs) just saying he's like the legend who every now and then turns up beats everyone drinks a lot and leaves exactly yeah Yeah. only deanna is the only other person in the senior staff who knows right exactly because Riker actually really really cares about his reputation in a way that picard does not (laughs) and in fact Picard is not the stuffed shirt people think he is because he has delegated that role to Riker. Yes, I love this. And then, and yet, we are trained, I guess, to expect it the other way around. Well, yeah, Riker is young and American and he is a man of action. And, you know, he does have a sense of humour. He can be quite... Uh, light-hearted but he will also come down on you like a ton of bricks if he thinks you're putting a foot out of line yes whereas Picard with a few exceptions is much more approachable to the children and junior officers of the ship he doesn't want to be approachable to the children he just is no he absolutely is he in the episodes where Picard is required to interact with children he's actually very good at it yes Yes, and in sort fact, of in spite of himself, 
Unlike Picard, I don't dislike children, but they're people, and therefore I'm nervous around them, so I treat them the way Picard treats children. And I'm, I'm sure that's very weird for them, but one day they'll understand. <laughs> and should we talk about his family? Because I feel like that's related to not liking children. <laughs> his family are, at least his brother and his dad, are the worst. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's. We don't. I mean, his. We don't. Even we don't know see, his dad. No, we. Do, we, we just know about. Him. We just know yeah. he's still one of the worst dads in Star Trek. And we can sort of assume, to a certain extent, that Robert is a lot like their dad. Yes. And that's why he was sort of the favored son. And also why he has. So he's so judgmental and dismissive of Picard of, yeah of Picard although in family at the end he does accept that his own son wants to be more like his uncle incrementally generation Incre- by generation they're improving <laughs> except that then Robert and Rene die so yeah we don't <laughs> I can't I'm sorry. <laughs> Some someday we are going to talk about generations, and my head is going to explode. It's <laughs> frustrating, but yes. And sometimes I think that Picard, and I think that this is sort of in generations, mm. even though I hate it. That that Picard sort of allocated family to his brother yes and And so he didn't have to worry about it yeah that was didn't have to explore that he could just live his life yeah and be focused on all of his ambitions and all of his interests and not worry about creating any kind of legacy familial Mm. you know making sure that someone gets the stupid vineyard when he dies yeah and and (laughs) that that makes sense but at the same time he's very proud of the legacy that he's inherited and the stupid vineyard and that's why he's so distraught when you know robert and renee die it's not just that he loved them and you know renee was a child or a teenager and that's terrible it's that this responsibility that he never wanted has fallen on him. Has fallen on him, and it's sort of too late. Yeah. I mean, not because he's, you know, too old or too, you know, just, it's, he's in the second half of his life. Yeah. And he is happy and comfortable with his life. Yeah, and it takes a lot to change some at, at that stage, and does he really want to? Should he have to give, all, give it all up? Right. But, you know, there are other ways of passing on your legacy. And in, in the previews for Picard, we've seen, like, he has Romulan refugees working on his vineyard. And I assume because he's Picard that they're not being exploited and they want to be there and all of that stuff. So, you know, I think that's a really, you know, that's another way of passing that on. Not just oh, absolutely. not just genetically, but to a whole new culture. I think, I mean, I think we can safely say that Picard's legacy is intact. Yeah. He, he has a legacy. <laughs> and it's it's people. Right. He's touched so many people, even people he hasn't met. Mm. 
you know, he will be taught in Starfleet Academy or whatever. He's established himself in a certain way. Yeah, yeah. And influences. And he also killed a whole lot of people at Wolf 359, which isn't nothing. That wasn't him. He was there. His body was there. (laughs) I just think, you know, it's weird that no one ever expresses any issues about about that, except, you know, Sati and Cisco. But yes, Cisco is the only one who's coming at it from a position of trauma and a legitimate, a position of, even if I intellectually know this was not your fault, it's kind of hard to work with you. Oh, yes. And I think that's one of the most interesting ways to look at it. I mean, thank goodness Cisco exists for a lot of reasons. But um, in regards to Picard, it's good that 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 was ever voiced. Yeah. And I would say, as much as I say he's not at fault, I believe that Jean-Luc believes that he's at fault, that he has some... that he should atone for it in some way. He feels responsible for not having stopped it yes which is ridiculous no one can stop the book not one individual who is being assimilated but i think that adds a lot of nuance to his character and it was a really wise decision to you know have that experience affect him in the long run yes and it was one of the the things that really carried through the rest of his story yeah that was an event that kept coming back because it really changed him. And it changed the Federation. Yeah. And it's not something you... It's, I mean, I think we can call it post-traumatic stress. Yes. And it's def- that's something that we, we see triggered in him. Yeah. A few times. And that's... It's one of the better representations of trauma in Star Trek. Oh, hey, that's your thesis topic. It is, it is my thesis topic um, because it, it, keeps, it, like, it keeps coming back and it's treated seriously. Yeah. And my only complaint is that other people's trauma, like Deanna from every time she's mind raped, isn't treated as seriously. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Star Trek in general. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but my thesis <laughs> result was Star Trek in general isn't consistent mm. um, with presenting trauma in an appropriate light. Yeah. But specific to Jean-Luc Picard... It's very good. They're they're much they're much yeah. He yeah. he is a very good representation. More so even than say a uh, like Chief O'Brien and Nog and even Ash Tyler are like they are explicitly shown as dealing with post traumatic stress, and those episodes are good mm. or those scenes those parts of their story are good, but then it never affects them the rest of the time. Yeah. Whereas Picard and Bellana, these are, these are the two uh, where it keeps coming back. I would also add Michael Burnham 
Yeah. Because I didn't really, uh, I didn't study past the first season of Discovery. It's so. hard because it's ongoing, but I feel like season two made it pretty clear how badly damaged she is by the deaths of her parents. And I remember yes. when it was airing, people were saying, you know, Michael suffers more than, literally more than any other character in the entire franchise. And I'm just like, allow me to introduce you to my good friend, Jean-Luc Picard. Right. It's but the, it's because it's not a competition. It's consistent. It's consistent in Discovery. Yeah. That she is always dealing with it. Yeah. And that is more true to life. She yeah. is capable of doing all of the things that she has to do in order to get through her season and seem like a perfectly competent, you know, overly competent officer. Yeah. And person. But she's still hurting the whole time. Yeah, but we wouldn't have that more realistic story without Picard to, de- to build upon. Exactly. And Picard is... A, it's also... A, Picard is a good uh, representation. And Bolana. I just want to say. Mm. I, know, I know this episode isn't about Bolana, but... One day we'll do um, a Bolana episode. She's also a good representation um, because... And Michael, Michael's harder because she's the main character, and I know that like Picard is the main character, but I would say that Next Generation is more ensemble-ish. It certainly aspires to be an ensemble show. Than Discovery is. Yes. And so when Picard isn't necessarily, when it's not necessarily about him. He's okay. He's, he's okay. But even in small moments when it, you know, it'll, it'll, come up again and we'll I, like uh, in lessons yeah he brings up when he's explaining the flute and why it matters mm. like that's a small moment where we get to see how this affected Picard and how it was a traumatic event as well as something that he really cherishes yeah yeah and uh, I remember at one point, my flatmate, who is sort of in fandom, but not the thick part of fandom, she was like, is Picard a bit of a Gary stew? Because he's always suffering. That's amazing, because it would never occur to me that Picard is a Gary stew. Uh, I hate that word. But but I see where she's coming from, and certainly from in within fan fiction circles, I see where she's coming from. Yeah. I mean... The, f- the fanfic that I read is like 90% suffering. <laughs> yeah, I don't so. know that I would say she's using the term correctly, but like I said, she's not really in the fic part of fandom, so I assume she's picked it up by osmosis. But I feel like mm-hmm. she's um, picked up something very key to people's enjoyment of a character, and uh, it's that a lot of people are really into hurt comfort, and that extends to the next generation writers who... Yes. Love putting Picard through hell and then having him sit quietly with Beverly and Deanna and start to deal with it. Yes. I mean, I also like Hurt Comfort, (laughs) so I'm down with it. Oh, I am not complaining. (laughs) I I also think that, I mean, I I feel like I say this a lot, television is heightened reality. Yeah, yeah. Even more than film even more than literature, maybe. Television is very uh, soap opera <laughs> Yes. And melodramatic. And so he suffers over and over and over again because that's part of his character. Part of his character is being the type of person who stands up 
every time he's knocked down. Yeah. And in order for him to stand up, he has to be knocked down. Yeah. So it happens over and over again. And the thing that, that television is, is more melodramatic and, and more heightened than film or a book or something is because it goes on for so much longer. Next Generation goes on for seven seasons. Mm. And those characters, they have to both go through growth and some kind of character arc, but they also have to remain the same in yeah. order to be recognizable to who we want them to be. That's just the way television works, or at least it was in the 90s, and up until like maybe five years ago, they started doing shorter mm. seasons and more, they're, they're more like limited series stories as opposed to... Yes. Which personally, I think These is ongoing a step stuff. forward because I like a story that has a clear beginning, middle, and end. But uh, you know, certainly, yes, the, I'm not the sheer quantity of story that we got back in the days of the episodic twenty-six episode season, which you know, yeah. lots of ster- series still have. But it's I'm not on record sort of... as 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 being pro shorter seasons and pro series knowing when they're going to end. And, mm. and all of that kind of stuff whereas so yes that they can have a beginning a middle and end they can have a character arc that makes sense and doesn't have to double back on itself just because we're having another season yeah like I, I like that but I also live in the world of television that is crazy and um, and they throw everything at the wall and to see what sticks. Yeah. And pretend that that's characterization. <laughs> and, like, that's fun too. Because it's, it's fun for me because then I can look at the whole picture of Picard and say, oh, well, these are the character traits that really matter. Mm. And all of these other decisions are related to that. And if it seems like he's acting out of character, it's really because blah, 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 blah is happening. And I can, like, it's fun for me to figure all of that out. If they leave gaps, then that's a place where we can come in and fill them. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, But I, I was thinking, you know, they called him around season three. They were like, it is becoming a problem that Picard is never hurt by his experiences and so like the decision to make the Borg the his assimilation to give that I'm sorry words are hard the decision to depict the long-term effects of his assimilation was built up to for a while and people were calling him the Teflon captain because even in season two he's like having to kill his own future self in in is it Times Squared Yes. Yeah. And he's like, okay, another day at the office. <laughs> yes. So it was, it was important to, for them to, I mean, certainly everyone says that Star Trek Next Generation got good in season three. So. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the year Michael Piller came in and said, you've got these really great characters and stories need to be about those people and you need to get find a way to integrate your high concept abstract yes. science fiction ideas with the people right and television and certainly good television mm. but television as a medium it has to be character driven yes because that's what is 
consistent. Plots are going to change every season or every five episodes or every episode if it's really episodic. But the the characters are what's consistent. So you either have to be a complete procedural, like, original Law and Order. Yeah. Where nothing happens (laughs) outside of the formula. And it's like... 20 minutes in, there's plot twist A, (laughs) that kind of stuff. And Law and Order ran for 20 years, and I am still a diehard fan of SVU, which strays from that formula a little bit in that they really do care about the characters, and they certainly love making them suffer. Oh, yeah. But it still also has a formula. Uh, and then something like Riverdale, where literally every episode you're like, what is even happening? <laughs> I really respect... None of this makes sense. I really but respect the, the formula. But some, if your formula is basically Riverdale, open TV tropes to random and see where you end up, <laughs> like that... I lasted a season with that, and then I was like, this is too much. <laughs> it's not bad, it's just too much. <laughs> it is definitely too much. But, uh, you know, Next Gen started, it, it, you know, covered a whole era of television that moved from the situation where you were either a soap opera or you were a, an episodic procedural to the beginnings of, of right. the 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 excuse me the serialized procedural and the early right. stuff like homicide life on the street and hill street blues and you know the evolving procedurals and picard sort of grew with it he was a character that evolved with them and that's what makes him so great well i was going to say that's what makes him the perfect character to bring back as a protagonist in the 21st century in the new in the new normal yeah yeah because i feel like janeway much as i love her didn't change so much with her era and like i'm sure there are there is room for her to appear in star trek picard but i don't know if she would make a protagonist because her story is sort of done whereas his was open-ending and the storytelling evolved. And of course, part of the problem well, there is that Voyager was consciously prevented from evolving. Right. Voyager was consciously prevented from evolving. Janeway was mismanaged, I guess is the best way to put it. It's a nice way to put it. And Voyager, I love Voyager. It's always going to be my Star Trek, but they had a problem from the very beginning (laughs) from the pilot because the purpose of Voyager was to get home, right? Yes. That was like, that was their goal. Their goal was to get home. And so if you end the series with them getting home, you never have to revisit it again. Exactly. It's, it's over. It's done. You, they succeeded. They got home. Yeah. And so they cut off, the ability to revisit those characters you know yes they they can they can appear in picard but janeway the series wouldn't have the same impact no because her series is based in something else her series was finite whereas next gen opened with let's see excuse me try again 
Siri has <laughs> woken up. Uh, next gen. Siri we- has strong opinions about Janeway. Apparently, she does. This is yes. Anyway, a next gen opens with "Let's see what's out there" and closes with "We're still seeing what's out there." Even, right. even Deep Space Nine. I think the characters have more room to feature in their own series. Like, I feel like Cisco's story is done, but. Kira or Dax or Bashir, O'Brien, any of them could come back and lead, you know, a limited series or something. Right. Janeway? Because their series ends very open-ended. Yeah. You don't know what... All of those people are going to something new or they're learning how to live without Cisco on the station. Yeah. Those are the two different... And all of that is new and different and has nothing to do with what came before other than the obvious that it came before and it's what's based on so anything could happen Mm. in tv space nine but voyager like yes anything could happen now that they're back home but why would it (laughs) they succeeded even the reboot novels basically send them back to explore the delta quadrant eventually and uh obviously seven of nine is going to be in the picard series but her story was very much ongoing and you know, I think there is room for the supporting characters to make appearances in things. You know, I would love to see what Berlana and her family are up to these days. But I, I don't know that there's anything more to say about Janeway's own story. Yeah, they're not going to anchor a series. No, even if Voyager had been a, a runaway success and critically acclaimed, which bless, but it wasn't. <laughs> Anyway, we've strayed a bit off topic. Yeah, we've, we've, str- we've strayed off. Sorry. No, no. You know I love talking I lo- about I have less to say about television. <laughs> All right, so uh, on our list that we haven't discussed is Drawn to Outsiders, which I think is going to be very important in yes. the Picard series. This is what my flatmate said when we were watching the penultimate episode of Next Gen, Preemptive Strike, where Roe betrays Picard and betrays the Federation. And she's like, Picard is a person who loves outsiders and loves to draw outsiders into his circle and help them succeed in his society on their own terms. But you can't do that and then be sad when it doesn't always work out. Right. Right. Because he's not... He wants them to stand on their own two feet. Yeah. He wanted Roe to succeed. Yeah, yeah. He liked it that she thought Starfleet could learn a lot from her. But ultimately what he really believes in is the Federation. And he, he's not blind to its faults, but her betraying betraying Starfleet to join the Marquis was a step too far which I understand and I think it's a really brave brilliant decision to make him the antagonist in the penultimate episode of his own series you know he's not the good guy there but Mm. it's just I love that episode it's it's honestly one of my favorite next gen episodes I love it but, Absolutely. But what Aaron said about him being drawn to outsiders, I realised that's even true of most of his crew. He has Riker as the inside guy and the Starfleet golden boy. And Beverly and Deanna are sort of on the borderline because, you know, women are just not that interesting. 
to the writers <laughs> of this era. But then you have uh, Data and Geordie and Worf, the ultimate Worf outsider, and even Tasha. Worf. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah, it made me reconsider almost everything in the next gen in that light, and it was really rewarding. And I'm like, this series is so old, and I've just had this new insight, and that's what you get from new people coming in and watching it. <laughs> ah, that's so great. This is, this is why Star Trek is still so popular now, why we have eight series, Yeah, whatever. I don't know. And because you can go back and with new eyes see something that you missed. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be you revisiting something that you saw 20 years ago, or it can be someone who's never seen it before and is just catching it on Netflix and, and has a stray comment, and you're like, whoa, that's, that's absolutely true, and I never thought of it. And then you immediately want to go watch every episode Yeah, that brings it up. Yeah, like even how he's drawn, like Picard is drawn to Klingons rather than like Romulans, which you, uh, not Romulans, Vulcans, which you would think is more in line with his personality and his interests. Right. But Klingons are very much the outsiders of the Alpha Quadrant, even though they've been allies for 80 years or whatever. I mean, they're still... We still don't get along with the Klingons. No! <laughs> Maybe we do now in Star Trek Picard, but as of Deep Space Nine, we did not. No, it's still so, a very fraught relationship. And certainly from all... From everything we've seen of Picard so far, mm. he is collecting all of his little outsiders into a group. Yes. And going off to have adventures and save other outsiders. But starting with the fact that he has Romulan refugees employed on his vineyard. And imagine being a Romulan and your planet is destroyed and you end up living on Earth of all places. Like, even in the Federation... Making wine. I just feel like... Even, it's the best. even Earth is not so evolved that not a single person is going to be maybe not openly bigoted, but giving them a second look, making them... There has to be a certain amount of othering going on. <laughs> I'm going to bring up Valana again. Please. <laughs> and say that her entire, like, her backstory, her childhood, is that she and her mother were the only Klingons in her Federation colony. And even though her father was a Starfleet officer and a human, she was ostracized by all of the other children mm. and and their families. And, and her it was mother really is difficult for her. Ultimately, living on the Klingon homeworld, right? Because she she was tired of that. You know, she, I think that her mother lived there for her daughter. Yeah. And as soon and as Belana was an adult, she was like, "I'm going back to where like, I." And not an outsider. So I'm the. Based on that, I think that the Romulans would have a tough time mm. assimilating, so to speak. <laughs> so to speak. Although, I do suspect that assimilation, cultural and Borg-related, will be a theme. Just a theory. Yes. Just putting that out there. <laughs> Perhaps. Hmm. I mean, I love this. I mean, I loved already the idea that Picard and Seven were like bros. Yes, because they have so much in common and yet are so separated. 
Yes, and they're such and different I, I really personalities. Like that. Yeah, they're absolutely different, and there's so many different ways that that could go. Mm. So, you know, I can't wait to watch the series so that I can fill in the, the gaps in between when Voyager gets back and when Picard starts. Yes. <laughs> with building their relationship, because I'm all over it. <laughs> that is going to be great. And Jerry but Ryan. she is certainly a... Jerry Ryan said something about Seven of Nine's costume in this series being protective colouring because she doesn't want to stand out. But Seven of Nine is again an outsider. You know, her right, she's always gonna she's always gonna stand out. Yeah, uh, Voyager she, is she's her the collective. most famous Borg. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and then you know we have people like Rafi who used to be Starfleet and have left, and apparently she, you know she's basically living in a trailer on some planet there so like going by the the trailer oh the trailer in the trailer <laughs> so you know she has deliberately excluded herself from mainstream society and then you know her the rest of this crew of rebels and outsiders and weirdos and you know it seems that Picard has made himself an outsider Yes, if there comes a point. He's, joint, he's, he's crossed over to, okay, I'm going to go be with these people because they're my people. Yeah. And I, I can't pretend to be a part of this anymore. Yeah, and people like Riker are supporting him because even Riker is pretty much an outsider by the end of the series. He may have been straight-edge Starfleet guy at the beginning, but, you know, there's the annual Drive Riker Crazy episode. He has not come out... <laughs> the same person who went in that's what's I, I i have said on this podcast and i say all the time that oh you know next generation doesn't like to mention what happened before mm. but that doesn't mean that the characters don't grow the characters absolutely grow no it's just and the relationships grow it's often very quiet and if you're not paying right. attention you it's off it's off screen or off to the side it's it's um in your peripheral vision. And so much of their, their growth and their key character scenes are small moments in episodes, which frankly, a lot of people are going to miss because they're forgotten and they're forgettable. But that's where, that's where the growth is happening. So I'm not saying right. you need to watch every single episode of The Next Generation to be a real Trekkie, but <laughs> even, even the lesser episodes are often a bit rewarding in their way. I think... That's why less some lesser episodes are still fan favorites. Yes, yes. Rascals is not a great episode, but the whole scene where Picard considers basically having a different adulthood, I love that. It's an amazing concept, and it's amazing to see what a person would do if they had their time over. And, and like, imagine if we got that for all characters. Would Riker be so gung-ho about making captain by 35 or whatever or oh wait we did get a, his second chance it's literally called second chances and it's about his transporter clone <laughs> I, I, lo I love not to go off in a Riker tangent but I love second chances because I so I like to sort all the characters into Harry Potter houses yes this sounds thing. like something you would do <laughs> And I love Second Chances because I like to say that Riker left his Slytherin side on that planet. <laughs> <laughs> that, 
that the Riker we know is you know the the mm. Gryffindor Riker <laughs> and 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 Tom Riker is where all of his ambition went mm. um and so he's ambitious in a Rick Gryffindor way instead of a Slytherin way and that's why he doesn't make captain by 35 because he's lost that drive and he doesn't even realize he's it. lost that that part of him but he's richer yeah. for it like, oh absolutely he he becomes he's ready to be captain when he finally becomes captain he's ready to be a good captain right away mm. instead of he doesn't need the learning you curve. know a, a flashy captain or whatever he does he, yeah he doesn't need the learning curve he already knows what he's doing yeah he's comfortable in his skin I think there's a lot to be said to uh, for waiting until you're an older person before you take that step. And I, there's a lot of prestige attached to being, you know, the youngest captain in the fleet. Thank you, James T. Kirk. But there's no shame in waiting until you're middle-aged, as Riker did, and being seasoned. Which, as he says, is a terrible adjective, but... Or as Picard did... <laughs> Oh yeah, because I was. Picard is considered a wonderful captain, and he's an older guy, and he had been a captain yeah. for twenty years already before he took the Enterprise. Right on a smaller ship that he like lost, <laughs> he failed at that ship. Um, and I don't mean that anyone. Don't get mad at me. <laughs> Obviously, he, he's not a failure because he lost his ship. But my point but he is... did lose it to the Ferengi, which is embarrassing. <laughs> is that he went through a learning curve? Yeah, he was not ready to take on the Enterprise when he was captain of the Stargazer. No, no, and the episode Tapestry is very popular and highly acclaimed, but I actually really hate it for a bunch of reasons. And one being that I don't think the execution of Patrick Stewart playing young Picard is particularly great, but I don't like the implication that in the timeline where he plays it safe and is a green shirt, I don't like the implication that that is a lesser life. Like, yes, there is a potential that he's not meeting, but who is to say that that Picard isn't in some ways happier. Maybe he could have had a family. Maybe he could have made some great scientific achievement that didn't require great leadership skills. Yeah, my uh, the only way I can really take that episode is the idea that it is entirely Q. Yeah. And maybe Picard's psyche, but it's not what Starfleet would say and it's not what Riker would say and it's like you know what I mean like those yeah. the the future that Picard experiences is his insecurities on parade not a re reflection of what it would actually be like no that's a really good way to put it because I feel like if someone like Barkley came to Deanna and Riker and said I know I'm in this job but do you think I have potential to be in another job you know, to take on more responsibility, they would absolutely support him. And they would be like, well, okay, you've got a lot to learn and your past is going to be a hindrance, but you are absolutely intelligent and capable and we will help you go for it. Right, exactly. That's what I think Starfleet, at least idealistically mm. wants. Like it's, it's what they give lip service to if it's not what always happens. Well, to be honest, we see quite a lot of like 
middle-aged ensigns and junior lieutenants, particularly older women on the Enterprise D. And I don't know if this was intentional or anything, but I've always assumed it was someone in extras casting doing a little bit of world building to say Mm. there is no stigma in the Federation to taking 20 years out and you know maybe raising your kids full-time or doing something else or just changing careers and coming to Starfleet later in life and yes you're of a lower rank but you are no less of value it absolutely makes sense and it's it's certainly something that I would want to believe of our future that again the future we want yes and as much as I as much as I like that uh, Discovery is a crew of fairly young people who are very very vulnerable to Lorca's manipulations, um, aside from the addition of Tignataro, it's still generally a pretty young crew in season two. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. It's because we're in the age of pretty people. Everybody has to be pretty. Middle-aged people can be pretty too. <laughs> what are you sure (laughs) that's not what I've been told by Hollywood (laughs) um anyway I'm gonna put that aside and uh things are getting better it's okay catch me later and I'll tell you about my pitch for the next Charlie's Angels movie where a bunch of retired angels led by Christine Baranski have to save the current generation I'm ready I have not seen the new Charlie's Angels but I want to see that one Okay, I really enjoyed that movie. I mean, not to get off Christine topic. Baranski, yeah. Oh, it does have um, Patrick Stewart in it, and in fact, the whole <laughs> success of Patrick Stewart's Bosley is partly because the audience knows, you know, he's Picard, That's he's best, yeah. <laughs> Professor Xavier, he's that guy you trust. I mean, it's not that I don't want to see it or have anything against the movie. Mm. I'm just, it's not the kind of movie that my that the people that I go to movies with are going to go with me. That is completely fair. <laughs> anyway. I have one more comment about Tapestry. Yes. Just because I did bring up my Hogwarts houses. And Tapestry is the episode I point to mm. in sorting Captain Picard. Yes. I would say that on the surface, Jean-Luc Picard comes across as a Ravenclaw. He's a super nerd. He is he loves a nerd, yes. figuring things out. He likes riddles. He likes mysteries. He likes to, you know, really think about a problem for mm. many times, you know, for a long time and, and figure out all of the angles. He likes to study just for fun. He has lots of hobbies, as we have discussed. He's very, he's very Ravenclaw. Yes. However, when given the choice in tapestry, to become a blue shirt or a red shirt. Mm. He chooses to remain the red shirt even though he might die. And that is a Gryffindor. I totally agree. He chooses to be Gryffindor. I agree. And I would love to know more about his early years in Starfleet. And, you know, did he go straight from, whoops, my heart's been stabbed, to serious nerd guy or you know he must have been he must be so smart to do the amount of drinking he seems to have done at the academy and still have graduated so like (laughs) were his friends weirded out or were they all a bit like oh shit John Luke's just had his heart stabbed out maybe we need to rethink our lives 
I mean, we never, we don't know anything about those friends. We never hear about those friends. Like, it's not like he has told stories about those people before that episode. No, and I think that's partly, like, Tapestry might have been a better episode if it had been Jack Crusher with him in those days. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But we can't mar the memory of Jack Crusher. Oh, we absolutely can. doesn't exist, but whatever. Sorry, I have a lot of problems with Jack Crusher. I want him to be a character. I have there's a really excellent next gen fic that I'll link you to and I'll put it in the show notes where Beverly meets a young girl who she thinks is Picard's daughter but it's actually Beverly's daughter um, Jack's daughter and that's a problem because she's about Wesley's age. Ooh. Oops. Yeah. yeah. I am intrigued. It, it's I'm into that. A wonderful blend of soap opera and a bit of actual plot. Well, sounds amazing. I will and link it. I, I, I am all for giving Jack Crusher any characterization whatsoever beyond sad dead guy. Yeah, you yeah. Know, a heroic dead guy is no. Well, that's the thing. Uh-uh. He, he was Picard's best friend, and Picard doesn't surround himself with boring or conventional people. So, right. again, the outsider thing. Yeah. So, oh man, Jack Crusher as an outsider who... Okay, anyway, I, I, I like these ideas. And so yes, absolutely. Tapestry would be better if it had any relation to anything we'd seen. You know, Philip Lovar could be there, but no. Okay, the adventures the of random, young Philip Lovar, I would absolutely random be French there lady. Like, there are so many people that could have been there because we, Picard actually talks about his Academy days and his early life, like, a lot. Yeah. He's, he's, it comes up a lot, <laughs> you know, when he, he, his archaeology professor, like, there's, there's stuff that happens, um, but he has, like, random ex-love interests, <laughs> at least three, I feel like, that were from that era, and yet they make up another one, and they cast, like, a 20-year-old, and I just... No. That's that's my beef. <laughs> I enjoy no. a bit of an age gap, but that actress was 17 when she played Patrick Stewart's love no. interest. And I'm like, not to sound like a Tumblr auntie or whatever, but no. that They, they should have either cast a younger man as Picard or an older yes. woman as the love interest or, I don't know, just done something different. Just done something different. Yeah, yeah. Oh well. Anyway, I'm glad that we both agree that Tapestry is not a great episode because it is such mm-hmm. a popular one. I feel like I'm being very controversial. It's. I think it has a lot of positives that are. It has interesting ideas. And it has and, Q waking and... up, or Picard waking up in bed with Q, which is always yeah. going to be a winner. Like I, I like. The, the ideas about Picard and Picard's psyche. I don't think the execution is at all good. Yeah. Do we want to, like, say our favorite moments or episodes or something fun like that? This is, <laughs> this is just a moment in an episode that's not really about Picard, but the whole Captain Picard day set up in parallels and the bit where he's saying to the admiral it's for the children i'm a role model (laughs) 
and he is so embarrassed but he's also so into it and you know this is a man who was really horrified at the idea of having children on his ship and seven years later he's well watching Riker walk around with the Picard doll and he has come so far and it's just such a funny character moment that wouldn't work with any other character yes that is that is a great moment I love it yeah I want to circle back to preemptive strike and just the Rolaren relationship in general. Yes. Because that is one of my favorites. I absolutely love their chemistry. However you want to see it is fine. But I think that they really uh, bounce off of each other very well. Yeah. Uh, from the beginning. That I love when they go down to the planet together to the camp and she takes off her jacket and you're like, whoa, it's a jacket. <laughs> but it, it comes didn't apart. have a front zip. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I really like that he sees her as a person mm. more than other people do. You know, it's like Guinan is the one who really brings out the person in row, but... Picard listens to Guinan because he saw that on the planet, I think. I agree. Like he I saw agree. her interact with the little girl. He saw what it what it meant to her. And he listens to her when she tells her tale about her dad. And like there's just a lot there. And that just the, I mean Ensign Row is probably the, the episode is like my favorite episode of Next Generation. And then Preemptive Strike is just so it's such a beautiful send-off, like tragic send-off to that relationship. Yeah. I just love it so much. And I love how angry he is. He is. At her. How disappointed. He, you know, I, I uh, related it to in The First Duty where he is also angry and disappointed at Wesley. Yes. But it's, he's just like, with Wesley, he's angry and disappointed, but he's still like, "It's gonna be okay, Wes. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna, you're gonna get through this, and everything's gonna be fine, eventually." You know, once you, this is a a, a a lesson. Yeah. Whereas with Ro, there's there's no coming back. No, and it's just it's it's sort of it's like devastating, and I just really love that, and that it's that kind of like I'm sort of hoping that some of that is what we get in Picard because he does seem kind of disenchanted with Starfleet in general. I would love for that disenchantment to have begun with the Cardassian Treaty and the whole situation that gave rise to the Marquis because it does trouble me that he goes along with it and I understand why but at the same time that is a really bad treaty and... The Marquis, I'm kind of team Marquis. I, I understand their position. Right. Their position makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I think he also has a lot of empathy for it. He just is not in a position to express it. And so, yeah, to build on that franchise-changing tr- treaty concept would be amazing. But also if they threw in the fact that Roe is maybe still alive and wasn't killed by the Dominion <laughs> along with all the other Marquis, I'd be really happy to hear that. I would be happy to hear that as well. 
That would make me happy. It would probably just be pure fan service, but I love Ro and I hate to think that that's how she ended. Yeah. Also, Picard's relationship with Guinan mm. is is a good one that I like and I would love for Guinan to show up oh, at any yeah. point. And I still think that Guinan, that Whoopi Goldberg should just have her own short trek series. <laughs> <laughs> this just... <laughs> It's just Guinan inserting into wherever, whenever. Yeah, yeah, we can it would be CGI amazing. up a nice Deep Space Nine. I'm sure that if we put Armin Shimmerman in his quark makeup, he'd look pretty much the same as he did back in the day. Uh, uh, you know, stick her Make in Discovery. Like, I think, I think it's interesting that so many of Picard's really important platonic relationships are with women. Like... Yeah. It's debatable how platonic his relationship with Ro is, but I think he wants it to be platonic. And then there's Guinan, his bro for life, and Deanna. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. He's actually, he's, he has good relationships with women. Mm. Even he and Beverly uh, are platonic for many, many years. They love each other, but they're not romantically involved. Right. And even if there is that tension, which I can see in like, not with Deanna so much, but I know some people do. But I can see a tension with, certainly with Beverly, certainly with Ro, sorry. Yeah, I no. see it. Oh, no, I ship it. <laughs> um, I just don't think Picard wants to ship it. Yeah, I would agree that Picard doesn't want to ship it. Um, and, and, but even with Guinan, there's like a, a little bit of a flirtation there. Yes, yes. There's enough, you know, that just because they're sort of flirty people. <laughs> and so it's okay but it never gets in the way like their te- the tension with any of those relationships doesn't get in the way of the relationship itself yeah yeah he might be attracted to these women he may have even slept with Guinan I'm totally into that but he is he's not f- just because he's in the friend zone doesn't invalidate their affection and love and mutual respect exactly yeah, I, I think Picard's interactions with women most of the time are really good. He treats them as people. Oh, we have such a low bar. <laughs> I know it's just so sad, but it. But we uh, we brought up children briefly, mm. and I said that he he actually does well with children. But I think it's the same thing. He treats them as people. Yes. Yes. I think that, and I think it's because he doesn't know how else to treat them. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, I don't want to deal with this, so I'm just going to treat it like any other interaction. But we see that in his... You're just smaller. <laughs> in, in first contact situations too, like his interactions with the captain yes. in Darmok. He, he's like, okay, we're stuck on this planet. You're trying to give me a knife. And, and he just talks to the captain as if... He was as if they can communicate. Yeah, yeah. As if they keep trying. Yeah. Eventually, it will happen, and eventually, it does. He is rewarded in that. Well, you know, he, eventually, you talk to children like they're people long enough, and they turn into adults. <laughs> last week, or last time we recorded, you said something that your brother, your brother, had some sort of insight that you were going to repeat. <laughs> Have we heard it? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to that episode and I was like, wait, what did I mean by that? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Let me think. Yeah, I have no idea. 
It'll come to you. <laughs> Sorry, my brother. I will say that my my youngest brother. I have the cutest picture that I found. I kept from his, from he was like five when we watched Star Trek: The Next Generation mm. together. At most, and so I have adorable art of Captain Bacard oh <laughs> that gosh. he made. It is the cutest thing ever. So <laughs> I'll post that and embarrass him. Do it. <laughs> but yeah, the Next Generation is the is the series that I watched with my brothers. Yeah. Uh, I would say that Hendrick, the the artist, hmm. he would definitely choose Deep Space Nine as, as his favorite. But we watch Next Generation together. No, I think it's and, it's the same in my family. We watched Voyager and Deep Space Nine together for a few years, but then I moved out of home. So Next right, Gen, yeah. Next Gen is the one where we did the full series as a family. Right. Exactly. Oh man, and you know, um, Cap, uh, Cap Picard, mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart just recently redid his his one man Christmas Carol yes. on Broadway for one night, and that brought us back so much, so many memories. Because <laughs> so for my sixteenth birthday, oh boy, my father bought me and my friends tickets to see patrick stewart's christmas carol because oh my, my birthday God. is in december yes <laughs> and we live in connecticut so he got us a limousine <gasps> so it was like a, it was it was one of those ridiculous sweet 16 you know events <laughs> where we all got into the, the limousine and he gave me 160 dollars <laughs> to spend on whatever i wanted in new york city and we went to see Patrick Stewart's A Christmas Carol, which is like the nerdiest Sweet Sixteen ever. Oh no, but I love it. I, I am very proud amazing. of it. It is so on brand for you, but also it sounds like a really wonderful experience. It was. I mean, he, Patrick Stewart is amazing, and the theater was huge. And yet, and he was the only person on stage for the entire, like, whatever, two hours. And it was mind-blowing. Sounds amazing. I was reading his interview with Vulture about reviving this and reviving Picard. And and it just sounds like such an extraordinary piece of work. I would love, apparently people have tried for years to bring it to Australia. And he's like, "Mm, nah, which is fair, but... (laughs) Aw, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Look, Patrick there, Stewart... There is an audio. Oh. You can, you can listen to it. You can look up... I know that there, because I had it on cassette. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stewart filmed Moby Dick in Melbourne uh, after Next Gen ended, and he injured his back filming it, and then my great-uncle John, who was a massive Trekkie, wanted to meet him, so he sort of loitered outside the studio and I don't want to say that he jumped out at Patrick Stewart from under a staircase at night 
but certainly the way my mother tells it, that's what's implied. And Stuart was uh, a bit rude to him, apparently, for which my mother has never forgiven him. But honestly, I mm. completely understand Stuart's position. And I secretly suspect that's why he doesn't come back to Australia. It's all my <laughs> Uncle John's fault. Oops. Yeah. So don't be creepy when pursuing your favourite actor. Anyway, Uncle John passed away a few years ago, but uh, he switched allegiance to Kate Mulgrew and never looked back. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> Are we done? Uh, I think so. I, 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 feel like I, I feel like we have given a good rundown of yes. who we see Jean-Luc Picard as and what we're looking forward to in this new chapter. Yes. Uh, I wanted... We haven't... We can work this out off microphone, but uh, we should probably work out if we're coming back next year with an episode about our hopes for Star Trek Picard or just jumping in with, hey, it's the first episode. Uh, what do you think? Do you I, think that. I kind of feel like our hopes are pretty clear at this point and we can just go in and start the new series. Jump in. Start it. the new year with the new series. Yeah. I think that's fine too. Okay. Yeah, I think it's good. Well. Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. This is our last episode of 2019. Uh, it will drop a day or so early on Christmas Eve in Australia and I guess the day before in the Northern Hemisphere, give or take. If you celebrate Christmas or if you don't, have a really wonderful day. Uh, you can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at at AntimatterPod. Sometimes we post cat pictures and questions for our audience, which includes a very nice person who supports my Kira Lorca shipping, so that's nice. If you like us, leave a review on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. We're going on a hiatus for the holidays. I'm going overseas for two weeks. We'll return in January 2020 with an episode of a little show called Star Trek Picard. So to catch our new episode or to find out when it will drop, follow us on social media and subscribe in iTunes or wherever. Bye. Bye. Happy New Year. Yay.